This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. In ministry, there are mountains and there are valleys. Uh, I'm blessed to see amazing things. Uh, young people responding to the gospel. Uh, you know, churches, you know, people coming in here of all generations, worshipping together in community. People experiencing the grace and the love of God. Boy, are there mountains. But there are also valleys. And uh, for me, I think one of the valleys as a minister of the gospel is there are people that I have walked alongside sometimes for years. I've been in Christian community with them. We've worshipped God together in music and song. Uh, We've read the Bible together. Uh, Even some people that I have baptised, people who have been with me but are now no longer walking alongside me in this journey of faith. And before I begin the sermon, I wonder if I could just give you a few moments to think in your mind, and I understand this will be a difficult thing for some of you to do, but to think in your mind of the people who have been with you in Christian community, with you, beside you in the pews, or with you doing the journey of faith together, who are now no longer around. And I just want to give you a few moments, and you can close your eyes if you want, or just take a moment to think in silence about some of these people in your life. Could I invite you to do that before I begin my sermon? I'd just love you to contemplate some of the people who maybe you've walked together in Christian community, but they are now no longer here. And I pray that God would reveal some people for your mind. And perhaps it is multiple or perhaps just an individual. And I know that this can be hard and painful for some of us. It's family members. For some of us, it's close, close friends. For some of us, it's people we had great hope for. And the pain of them not being around, walking this journey with us is so hard. God, I pray for everyone in this room. As we contemplate the people that are no longer walking this faith journey with us, the uh, the prodigal sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would um, give us hope and give us passion to not give up on the people that we are thinking about. And God, I pray for the people that we are thinking about. I pray that you would reveal your love to them afresh again. And I pray that you would help us be good witnesses to them. For you have good plans, God. Help me preach this morning. Help it make sense. Help us be inspired. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. My sermon this morning is called Harassed and Helpless. This morning I'm going to go through the scriptures from Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. And I'm simply going to go through the scriptures. Now many of you did a Bible study this week, except the Bible study was from Luke 10. 
sounds like a very similar passage of Scripture, but it is a completely different passage of Scripture. So many of you have studied a passage and have come with an idea about what uh, these Bible verses mean, but I'm going to tell you them in a completely different context because this happened at a completely different time. So, I've just wanted to expand your mind even more. This week it means both I and Pastor Johnny have ministered to you from different points of the Bible, and it means that you should be full of the Word of God this week. But I'm going to go through sort of word for word and, uh, and try to speak some hope. And then maybe at the end I'd love to give you a ministry update if we have some time, because I know many of you don't get to see what happens on Friday nights, and I know you'd be inspired to hear it. So if we've got time at the end, I'd love to share with you some great things happening on Fridays. But for now, harassed and helpless. It starts, Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So let's give us some context here. I think that's very, very, very important. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages. Now, does that mean that Jesus hopped on a boat and came over to Narara and then visited my hometown in Biloela? Or was it a very specific area? It is very important to note that all the towns and villages are referring to within the Galilee and northern region of Israel. This is important because I want to set some context here that the people that Jesus is about to talk about and the people he's talking to are Jewish people. They are people who are called to be part of the family of God, known as God's children, his people, his chosen people. Jesus is not talking to the Samaritans. In fact, he was just on a boat. He was just talking to the Samaritans. He was just talking to the people who don't aren't the children of God. And they actually asked him to leave their city. So Jesus got back on the boat. He goes back to Israel and he's preaching in all the towns and villages in the northern region of Israel. He's speaking to the children of God. And he taught in their synagogues. Now, Jesus is a very bold man. Uh, You won't catch me walking down to the local synagogue in Gosford and starting to preach that the Messiah has come, although maybe that is what God would call us to do. Jeez, would that be scary? (laughs) But this is Jesus. He walks into a Jewish synagogue saying, uh, and, and teaching, teaching a new way, teaching new truth, expounding on the Old Testament in a way that would reveal that he is the Messiah. It is very much within a Jewish context. And he proclaims the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Just a bit of tidbit of information. I was thinking about this and uh, healing every disease and sickness. And for a long time, I've contemplated these Bible verses to mean that if there was a sick person around, Jesus healed them. As if to mean in the northern region of Israel, in the Galilee region, that there would be absolutely no sickness because if Jesus walked past someone with a cold, he would heal them. If Jesus walked past someone who couldn't walk, he would heal them. If Jesus walked, and I thought, oh, and I've always like struggled with that if Jesus healed everyone. But uh, I realized this week that it doesn't mean he healed every person with a disease or sickness. It means that he had the ability to heal every kind of disease and sickness. Jesus wasn't a one-trick pony. 
He couldn't just heal people who were lame and he couldn't just heal people who were blind and heal people with leprosy. Although they are the three that are constantly mentioned. Jesus could heal every kind of disease and sickness. He is all powerful. He had the ability to heal people with the common flu. He had the ability to heal people with gastro. He had the ability to heal people with coronavirus. He had the ability to heal people with cancer. God is all-powerful and has the ability to heal every kind of disease and sickness. Doesn't necessarily mean that he healed everyone with a disease and a sickness, but he is all-powerful. So this is some context. Jesus is going about all the towns and villages surrounded by people called to be children of God, the Jewish people, the chosen people. And he's speaking in their synagogues and he's healing every disease and sickness. And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. There would have been crowds. If Jesus is proclaiming the good news, well, people are drawn to that. If Jesus is healing and people are walking, well, people would be drawn to that. It's sort of like how people are being drawn to our church. Every week we are seeing new people. Every week at youth we're seeing new people. You know, just on Friday night, uh, I had four more young people come up to me. We were at a special event and asked to be baptised. Four more people. That is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? And this is because people are drawn to good news. And how blessed are we to be part of a church that's going to proclaim good news? How, How good is it to be part of a church that heals? Not just of sicknesses, but sometimes people have a sickness and disease of loneliness that Jesus can heal. How good to be part of a church that can bring healing to that kind of sickness and disease. And so there are crowds, and Jesus saw them. And I want to tell you, if you are in this room, Jesus is observant. I've been in ministry for a long time, and there's a few different kinds of ministers I grew up in a church of about 30 people and every Sunday the pastor would stand at the back door and I often attempt it. And every Sunday the pastor would stand at the back door and every person who walked through that door would get a handshake. And he knew every single one of their names. A lot easier with 30 people, so can you please show me grace? Some of you must be germaphobes because you sneak right past and sometimes I'm trying to chase you down for a handshake. You know, straight to the back door. Straight to the back door. I used to love that. I used to love that moment. I've also been around pastors who like to sneak off to a green room to get their croissant and piece of pineapple. That does happen (laughs) in our world. Who are on the stage and then they get straight off the stage. And uh, which just sort of blows my mind. You know, some preachers aren't very observant. But Jesus is. Jesus is observant. He sees the crowds. He sees you. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. 
for this sermon, I want this to be one of the biggest words that we contemplate today. This word, compassion. For some context, I want to give you the meaning of this word, compassion, in the Greek. Uh, anyone want to take an attempt to read this out for me? Splag, <laughs> Sounds like some sort of Italian pasta. Splag. <laughs> Bit of, uh, a bit, of, um, bit of spaghetti, bit of chorizo, bit of may. Okay. <laughs> to be moved as to one's bowels. Hence to be moved with compassion, to have compassion for the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. To be moved as to one's bowels. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a roller coaster and you travel up to the top and you're getting nervous and then all of a sudden there's a big old drop and can't you feel it in your bowels? That's compassion. (laughs) I remember I lived in Springfield for a period of time and uh, it's changed now. It's now called the Sunken Monkey. There's that bar there in um, Erina, and it used to be called Woodport Inn, and on Wednesday night there was something called Wednesday Woodies, and that was for all the uni students to go and club and drink on a Wednesday night in the middle of their, you know, in the middle of their uni week, and each to their own, I mean, let off some steam, sure, Uh, uh, you know, in the middle of the week to sort of let off some steam, Wednesday Woodies, that's what they called it, and I remember oftentimes I would have band rehearsal at the church I was at at that time on a Wednesday night, and so by around, you know, 10 o'clock when you're leaving band rehearsal, you're driving past Wednesday Woodies to get home. And I kid you not, I cannot explain this. It must be some sort of spiritual thing, but I would drive past that venue and I would see the people uh, lost and broken, crossing the street, very intoxicated. I thought, oh, this is, this is so dangerous. And I, I literally would have a pit in my stomach. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt that pit in your stomach But that's how I would feel. It wasn't even up here. It wasn't even up here in my mind. And uh, I used to feel so much for the, the, even the young people in the church I was attending who would sometimes go to Wednesday Woodies searching for reason, searching for reason because they couldn't find enough of it on a Sunday. And I would have this pit in my stomach That is literally what this verse is referring to, to be moved as to one's bowels. For the bowels in Greek Greek thought were known to be the seat of love and pity. This is a visceral reaction. Jesus does not only just look out and see, he has a visceral reaction. He feels it when he sees the lost and the lonely and the broken. He saw the crowds and his stomach sank. He saw the crowds and there was a pit in his stomach. I know many of you know what that feels like. Compassion is the motivation of Jesus. What is yours? Those names we thought about before, or perhaps the people you would love to see reached by the gospel who you don't know. What is your motivation? In America, there are churches who picket the funerals of soldiers 
And I don't think their motivation is compassion. Perhaps in our community, in the churches around the central coast, perhaps some people look at the young generations and just think, well, they are lost and broken and they need to find the right way. Which sounds a bit more like judgment than compassion. Perhaps there's like an annoyance or like an anger. Why can't this person see? But Jesus' motivation is not anger, it's compassion. It's love and it's pity. And I wonder what your motivation is for the people that you are thinking about. Your motivation could even be selfish. They're mine and I love them and they need to come back. You know, Jesus loves them more than you do. Jesus' motivation is compassion. It cannot be judgment. Although, Jesus is going to be our judge. But in this moment, it's compassion. And it can't be anger or frustration, although sometimes Jesus does go into places and flip tables and whip whips. But in this moment, it's compassion. And my encouragement, if you don't leave the room with anything today, I would love you to go home and reflect, what is my motivation? Because it must be compassion. And he had compassion because the people he saw were harassed and they were helpless. So let me read again from the start to this point. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. These seem like two simple words, but they pack so much punch. There is so much to learn about these two words. Let's start with the word harassed. The word harassed, scullo, means to tear apart, to lacerate, to flay and to skin as an animal. To skin an animal, to harass. It was used figuratively to mean uh, molest or maltreat, to trouble, to pester, to infest and to plunder. They were harassed. This is a big word. As it was used more and more in the Greek, it started to become just like a word that people would use to be like really annoying or really, really annoyed or really troubled. These people are really annoyed, really troubled, to the point where it feels like your skin has been torn from your body. And so Jesus looks out at these people and he's like, they are harassed, they are troubled, they are, they are flayed apart, they're skinned. He looks out and this is what he sees. Oh, this is what he sees. Burdened, troubled, manipulated, harassed, specifically by the religious leaders who were meant to protect them. The Pharisees, you see, would bind up heavy burdens on people. They would take the word of God and then create new rules and new laws to really harass and burden the people of God, the very people they were called to protect. I love our church because we are so diligent to keep the main thing the main thing. Been loving Pastor Johnny and Pastor Travis's preaching recently because it's so in line with my heart that we would keep the main thing the main thing. 
the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. And we are also a good church because we're always looking at our documentation. We're always looking at the things that we put in place to keep this church safe, to ensure that we're not adding to the scripture or trying to manipulate things to lay on heavy burdens. Like we are constantly going through the process of re-looking at our code of conduct and re-looking at our constitution to ensure that it is good and safe and that we are not putting words in the mouth of God. It's something we're doing in the process of doing right now. Because we don't want to lay heavy burdens on people like the religious leaders were doing at the time. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. And they'd lost it. And so these people, (laughs) it wasn't just the outside troubling them, it was the inside. I wanted to give you a visual representation of what the word harassed means. This is a flayed chicken. This is what Jesus saw when he looked out. The children of God, the chosen ones, he looks out and this is what he sees. Harassed. They were also helpless. The word helpless here means ripto, to throw, to cast, to hurl, to throw or to toss around, to throw out of place. To throw, to drop. Literally, the word helpless here in a modern translation, it could be translated to because they were harassed and 52 pick up. Scattered. Out of place. That deck of cards was once in perfect order. Ace through to king, clubs through to spades. You know, beautiful, in a neat little box. But the children of God, well, they were helpless, cast out of their box, scattered, out of order, unable to get themselves back to where they need to be. They needed to be picked up. They needed help. They were just thrown, thrown around. They were dropped. They were tossed at random, scattered, fallen, unable to right themselves, sort of like a turtle on its back. Dropped. I wanted to give you a visual representation. I guess I've given you one with the... They were a flayed chicken and they were a dropped piece of toast. This is what Jesus looks out And he sees. There are people who have once walked with us in church, once walked with us in faith, and there are people who have been let down, perhaps by situations that have happened in their own life. Uh, Sometimes when you go through grief or trauma, any traumatic event, that can cause you to sort of step away from faith. some people have been in a church and they've witnessed some, something inauthentic or they've witnessed a Christian not quite be what Christians are meant to be and, and that's caused them to feel harassed and helpless. And There's lots of reasons that people live, leave the faith, but Jesus is moved to compassion for these people, not judgment. He doesn't, he doesn't, blame, he doesn't necessarily blame them. He, he has pity and compassion on them, which is a, it's, it's a distinct difference. It's, it's, it's minor, but it's major. 
They're harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. We all like sheep have gone astray. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. Colin Buchanan, one of the great worship writers of our time. <laughs> I went back and watched the uh, video clip for this the other day. Mate, watching a 40-year-old white man dress up like a rapper and sing about, sing about Isaiah 52, sing, I tell you what, whoa. We all like sheep have gone astray. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. <laughs> You know, sheep are a constant analogy through the Bible. This wasn't just something random Jesus is saying when he says, like sheep without a shepherd. This is a constant through line of the Bible. Constant through line of the Bible. The Bible's always talking about lost sheep, scattered sheep, broken sheep, sheep astray. Jesus is like calling it out, like, you know what? He was saying the word of God's truth. The sheep are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus says, later in John, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The people we were thinking about at the start of the service Well, they, like us, at one time, are sheep that have gone astray. But this I know, Jesus is the good shepherd. He sees them and loves them more than we do. And he sees them and he he has compassion, like a deep compassion, because they're, they're, they're harassed and helpless. But he's the good shepherd. And he laid his life down for them, like any good shepherd would do just like he laid his life down for us. And he said to his disciples, this is an important distinction, when it says he said to his disciples, it is not just the 12 disciples, it's his larger crowd of disciples. We know this because in the latter verses coming up, it'll say, and then he gathered his 12 So in verses to come, which I'm not going to read today, it says, and then he gathered his 12, which means when he says about what I'm about to read, he's not speaking to the 12, he's speaking to a much larger crowd, and out of that crowd, he has to gather his 12 later. Are you with me? That's a bit, that doesn't matter. Yep, great. So he said to his disciples, which is a large crowd, he said to his disciples, a large crowd, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. A great news article for you. Without backpackers to pick them, crops rot by the ton in Australia. Measures to keep the coronavirus out of the country have left Australia with a deficit of 26,000 farm workers, according to the nation's top agricultural association. As a result, tens of millions of dollars in crops have gone to waste from coast to coast. This is a real problem in society. This is a real problem for farmers. When the crops are ripe, and there's no one to pick the crops, the crops go to waste. Sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You can sort of see why Jesus might use this agricultural analogy. Crops need to be picked when they're ripe. When are the crops ripe? When is the harvest time? 
Well, let me tell you, the harvest time is right now. Because Jesus says at another point to his disciples, Jesus is out there ministering, doing the work of God, and um, he's, he's forgetting to eat. I remember one service here at this church. It was a baptism service. It could have, maybe it was the Nicola McDermott day. It was one of our big days. We had a baptism service, and I remember uh, whatever happened that day, I must have woken up. I had a really big day. I set up for the baptism service. We would have baptized, I think, 14 people that night. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm on a high. How, how could you not be excited? We're, we're running around. I'm doing all the stuff. Then you've got to pack up the chairs and then you've got to empty the tank. And then I think that night the, the hose came off and there was water all over the floor. We had to fix that problem. And I remember, I think I might have been about 9 30, 10 o'clock. And I was, I was, I, saw, I just remember thinking, I haven't eaten today by 10 o'clock at night. And not once do I remember being hungry. Because when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. So imagine Jesus is in the zone. He's busy. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's healing people left, right, and center of every kind of disease. And all of a sudden, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you need to eat something. And he says, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. Then he says to his disciples, you say it's four months till harvest. But I say to you, the harvest is now. He's saying, you 12 better get to work. (laughs) We'll eat bread later. Now we harvest. It's now. And that is not just a line for that specific context in that specific time. It's a prophetic image for right now as proclaimed throughout the entire gospel when you read it all in a systematic theology. It's saying the harvest is now. So we need more backpackers. (laughs) We need more farm workers. These are things we need. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I know that that is true. And I know you do as well. Mm. The harvest is plentiful. Directly after this, Jesus does call his 12 together to send them out into Jewish towns because Jesus is like, it's too much work for me. It's too much work for me. So he gathers his 12 and he gives them some instructions. And you should go home and read the rest of it. But I know a lot of you studied in Bible study and contemplated these passages from a different context because in the context you studied in Bible study, it was probably going to Gentiles and people who weren't the children of God. And in this context, it was sending people to the children of God. So slightly different, but sort of still similar ideas. But Jesus needs help. Jesus needs help. He says, pray for the workers. Jesus still needs help. Jesus is not... (laughs) Jesus is not here to use his own hands and feet to help the people of our society. He's here to inspire and equip us to use our hands and feet to help the people of society. And if your motivation is compassion... And it is not judgment. 
and it's not annoyance or frustration, and it's not selfish because it's about you. If, if, you're, if, you're, if your true motivation is compassion, if it, if it burns in your belly, then I tell you what you're called to do. You're called to go into the world. Sorry if you're watching at home. I'm walking down on the platform to pick up my cards. Your, 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 your whole point is like to get out into the harvest field and to help the scattered, to start picking up, to start finding, to start... Because you are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. There's lost people. There's scattered people. There's lost and there's scattered people. And Jesus needs help. Jesus needs help. Do you know, I couldn't run our youth ministry without help. We have 15 amazing, great youth leaders who are passionate and determined and give up their Friday nights when they could be doing other things like watching Netflix. But they're with me, picking up the scattered and the lost. And it's worth Give you a ministry update. Can I give you a ministry update? Because I'm excited. I'm excited. Our youth ministry, and I'm going to declare this directly, our youth ministry right now, is as healthy as it has ever been. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let me, and it's not about numbers, but let me give you some, like, let me give you some overall context. Our numbers of the last couple of youth ministries have been, we, we started the term with 100, 109, then we had a dip and it was 91, then we went back up to 100, and then last night we went to a combined youth rally in Erina, and... 78 young people were represented from our youth ministry at a combined event. Our youth ministry brought the most kids of any other youth ministry on the Central Coast to that United event. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Our youth ministry is out here with wonderful youth leaders like Zach, my goodness, doing amazing things. It's healthy. And the craziest part is we have less leaders than we've ever had. We've got 15 strong and mighty leaders. I said that in a sermon a couple of weeks back. I know some of you are worried about my mental health and my tiredness. But I got a great email from Ian Skinner. And he said, reminds me of the story of uh, Gideon. You know? Sometimes God wants less people who have their eyes on the right things. And right now, our 15 youth leaders, boy are, they mo- boy, are they serving with everything they've got. And I'll take that over, you know, 25 haphazard leaders any day. In saying that, if you're good in a kitchen, uh, <laughs> I would love to free up my youth leaders to spend more time with young people so that they can help gather and gather and gather and gather and pick up the scattered so if you're good in the kitchen, I would love some more adult volunteers with working with children checks who are willing to come into the kitchen and help cook every now and then. Because I tell you what, our youth leaders are doing good things and how good would it be to have some uh, faithful men and women of God who are older and wiser and who have done the journey. Oh, thank you, Claire. And would you continue, Claire, to do this in Brisbane or wherever you go? <laughs> you couldn't help it, Claire. Are you moved with compassion for me? I'm just moved with OCDness. <laughs> moved with OCDness. You know, that's, a, that's not a bad motivation after all. 
So our young our leaders would love to pick up and, and gather, the, gather the scattered, but uh, we would love some help in the kitchen. So if you feel called to that, well, join us, please. Because the scattered and the helpless and the lost, the harassed and the helpless need to be gathered and picked up and brought back to where they're meant to be. I truly believe that. Yeah, our youth ministry is special at the moment. We just baptised nine people just a couple of weeks ago and we're up to seven, Pastor Travis. There's already seven on the list. So we better plan another night, ready to get under the water. It's about time we planned another night. That's amazing. That's amazing. If you would so help me, um, just to conclude my service, conclude the service here, if you are willing, and I'd love you all to be willing, if you were able to think of someone at the beginning of the service, if you were able to have someone on your mind when I asked you to reflect, would you just raise your hand? I, I know I had someone on my hand. If you were able to think of someone. I don't know if you can see, but it's pretty much everyone. Look around for a sec. Look, look at these hands. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.